the 1920s, a group of Spanish poets gathered to mark the 300th anniversary of the death of the lyric poet Luis de Góngora, a key figure of the Baroque era. These poets, including Federico García Lorca, Jorge Guillén, and Rafael Alberti, were joined by other influential figures such as Luis Buñuel, Salvador Dalí, and musicians, sculptors, and even bullfighters. Together they were known as the Generation of 27, and they went on to influence European and Latin American literature. This is Generation of 27, a podcast devoted to the Spanish literary movement and to poetry and translation. I'm your host, Anna Hiller. I have a PhD in Hispanic languages and literatures from the University of California, Berkeley, and I was a visiting professor of Spanish at Kansas State and assistant professor of Spanish at Idaho State. And even though I'm out of academia now, I still love poetry, especially the work that came from the generation of 27. And I'm Mark Pritchard, producer. I act as a narrator and announcer from time to time. In each episode, we'll look at a particular work of the poets and writers of the generation of 27, experiencing the work as a piece of art, of its author, of its time, and its life in English translation. And helping us do that will be our co-host, novelist and writer, Katya Noyes. Okay, I'm Katya Noyes. I am 62, and I live in San Francisco, and I'm a writer, and uh, yeah, used to be a dancer, was a dance critic, lived a long time in this fair city, and that's me. Katya will appear in each episode of the podcast in conversation with me about the poetry of the generation of 27 and its personally transformative effects. In this pilot episode, though, we'll spend a lot of time getting to know each other. We'll meet Anna and see how she became an expert in Spanish poetry and her love for teaching and the generation of 27. And we'll spend some time getting to know Katja, our co-host. In fact, let's start with Katja. Um. Before you started writing, you were a dancer. Can you talk a little bit about your career as a dancer? Yeah, yeah, I started young. Uh, I was an unusual little stocky dancer, and uh, I went all the way to New York at 17, this little powerhouse. I wanted to be world famous. I ended up dancing in lofts and doing experimental dance. Uh, in the mid-70s when New York was going bankrupt and from there ended up dancing in Los Angeles doing work with some kind of far out uh, people there and and then ended up in San Francisco dancing with a company you might have seen Christopher Beck um, and uh, yeah, doing my own choreography all along the way, even in uh, when I was a a little thing in New York. I uh, I uh, had a career-changing uh, back accident, car accident, and uh, so that ended dance. Somebody offered me a, a dance critic gig at, I think it was the Sentinel first, and... Uh, so I started going 
and watching dance performances and writing about them from the other side of the stage. And then you began writing uh, fiction or, and other things. Yeah, first I wrote for performance. I wrote solo performance pieces. And then uh, eventually that led into writing a novel and then writing another novel and uh, getting that one published after quite a while. And that novel was called? That novel was called Crashing America. Mm -hmm. So what are you working on now with your writing? I have been um, transitioning from fiction to writing prose pieces, uh, more um, autobiographical, and that has led into writing more prose poetry, but still from life as opposed to fiction. We'll hear more from Katya later, but first we need to properly meet Anna Hiller, the host of Generation of 27. After we started talking about doing a podcast about the Generation of 27, you asked me how I first became interested in poetry. And that led to you talking to your mom about it. And we had a really great conversation. So great that I said, can we call her again? So we did. Hi, I'm, I'm Joe. Joanne Owen, Anna's mother. Well, we just we just sort of brainstormed um, what the earliest memories of poetry in her life that she had, um, and it goes back to I think before she was even three years old. She went to this school called Romp, and um, there was a lot of poetry at that school too. Now Joe starts talking about a poem she remembers from those days. And as soon as she starts to recite it, listen to what happens. But I really remember um, some A.A. A. Milne that she liked from the very beginning. Um, for instance, their changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher, Christopher Robin, Robin went down, went down, with, down Alice. with Alice. Alice, Alice is, is marrying, marrying one, of the, one of the guards. The soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. <laughs> and that was from the book called When We Were Very Young by A. A. Milne. Uh, there are others in this um, volume that I think she would resonate to very quickly. And at times, it even turned into a kind of dialogue. We got talking, Puppy and I. All right, this one you do. The king asked the queen. And the queen asked the dairymaid. Could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? The dairymaid said, certainly. I'll go and tell the cow now before she goes to bed. And so on. That was a poem from a book that we read almost cover to cover, A Child's Book of Poems. Yeah. And the illustrations in this book are, are marvelous to the by Gaio Fujikawa. They are just beautiful. This book was given to Anna on December 15th, 1978 by granddad and grandma. And how old was Anna then? She was uh, three. She turned three in 1978. Uh, in 1978, we were already living in New Jersey. We had just moved to the apartments, right? 
Yeah, we had just moved to the apartment. And, and um, that was a difficult time. It was a difficult time. Anna's mom and dad separated when Anna was two years old. So, yeah, a difficult time for everyone. So you received this book from your grand... Yeah, my parents, yeah, to, to Anna. Can you read the poem that Grandma wrote oh, yes. next oh, yes. to the, the little epigraph? Yes. It's called, Good Morning, Mary Sunshine. Good morning, Mary Sunshine. How did you wake so soon? You've scared the little stars away and shined away the moon. I saw you go to sleep last night before I ceased my playing. How did you get way over here and where have you been staying? I never go to sleep, dear. I just go round to see my little children of the east who rise and watch for me. I waken all the birds and bees and flowers on the way. And last of all, the little child who stayed out late to play. Yeah, that was, and my mother wrote it. Dear Anna, remember our poem and think of grandma. <laughs> and mom, you and I still start our texts in the morning with good morning, Mary Sunshine from time uh, yes, to time. So, Joe, you read these poems from the book at first to Anna. Oh, right. And did she start to learn to say them along with you? Oh, she was a sponge. <laughs> yes. Uh, didn't take much to commit them to memory. This was another favorite one. What is pink? A rose is pink. By the fountain's brink. What is red? A poppy's red in its barley bed. What is blue? The sky is blue where the clouds float through. What is white? A swan is white, sailing in the light. What is yellow? A pear is yellow, rich and ripe and mellow. What is green? The grass is green with sm small flowers between. What is violet? Clouds are violet in the summer twilight. What is orange? Why an orange? Just an orange. That's a Christina Rossetti poem. I thought she might chime in. <laughs> I, I think of that poem as my pre-Gertrude Stein, or, or Proto Gertrude's <laughs> introduction to absurdity, just because the the orange. What's an orange? Yeah. An orange is what, an orange. What That's is very much a rose is a rose is a rose. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. You heard it here. Anna became a modernist at age three. <laughs> Nor does anything rhyme with purple. That must be why she chose violet. Violet. Yeah. Right. Um, my parents also introduced me to some really wonderful comic poetry when I was growing up, like T.S. Eliot's book of Practical Cats. This wonderful collection called Archie and Mahitabel. Yep. And uh, part of the reason why I liked it so much was because in the song of uh, the song of Mahitabel. Um, the refrain is, 
what the hell, what the hell. And as a kid, it was sort of a charge to be able to say the word hell. <laughs> and mom always read it with such joy. <laughs> she would um, be very dramatic in the reading. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what made poetry really come alive for me. Aww. Thank you. But you also read The Raven. Then my the Raven. Yes, I did. Mom was a very dramatic reader. Oh. <laughs> she had the whole class spellbound. Did I really? You did. Well, that's wonderful. All right. The, the Owl and the Pussycat. The Owl and the Pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy. Oh, pussy, my love. What a beautiful pussy you are. You ah! are, you are. <laughs> How did you keep a straight face, Mom? <laughs> I don't know. I can't now, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> How does it end? They dined on mints and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon, the moon, the moon. They danced by the light of the moon. Edward Lear. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks for reading those to me, Mom. <laughs> Back then and, and today. Oh, you are so welcome. It's my pleasure. As my mother would say it's my joy and pleasure, and it is. Wow. Well, thanks, Mom. Anna's mom, Joanne Owen, was a professional organist her whole life. Now semi-retired, she still lives with her husband, Larry, in the house in southern New Jersey where Anna grew up after living in those apartments. Coming up, Anna grows up and goes to grad school, master's degree in Peninsular Spanish, PhD in Spanish literature, and life as a teacher when we come back. I spoke with Anna about how she got from that time when she was a little kid interested in poetry to being a fluent Spanish speaker, a professor of Spanish literature, and an expert in the generation of 27. I was lucky enough to go to a high school in New Jersey that had a well-developed AP English program. I had a teacher, Mrs. Jordan, um, then Miss Betzler, who had us read really wonderful pieces by like Mary Oliver and William Carlos Williams and Adrienne Rich and Sharon Olds. She really opened my eyes to how poetry is not just an like a form of writing but how it comes to signify um, 
in my own poetry, I experimented and played around with this, like the idea of this sort of one-to-one -one correspondence of image and like truth telling. I came to see poetry in a completely different light. And like, I tortured my poor senior English teacher, um, Marilyn Mortimer, tortured her one day by insisting that we analyze uh, the, the ending of The Farmer in the Dell. Why does the cheese stand alone at the end of The Farmer in the Dell? Oh, because he smells. And I was like, no guys, he's a Christ figure. And Mortimer was like, sit down, Hiller. <laughs> I left high school with the delusion that I was gonna become an MD. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor and um, I wanted to help people. And I, that's why I started taking Spanish. I wanted to work with people who might not have access to medical care. I grew up in New Jersey where we had a lot of migrant workers. And so I think what I had in the back of my mind was that as an MD, I would want to work with migrant workers. But you didn't end up becoming a doctor. I did not. I got three semesters in, but um, in, during that three semesters, I also went to Spain, and I also suffered from a very severe bout of clinical depression. And uh, I went to Spain to sort of run away from that. While I was there, I was also just like learning Spanish at a lightning pace. You know, I could not speak at all when I got off the plane. How old were you when you went to Spain the first time? 18. I was 18 and very like, I was just ornery and angry and depressed. And I went to Spain and suddenly I was like totally independent. And um, I just loved every minute of it. Uh, by the time I got back, I could speak Spanish fluently. I decided to leave Tufts um, at the end of that. So I fled, I worked at Borders, shout out to Borders. Everybody working at Borders in the 90s that had no idea what they were doing with their lives. All I did was buy books, like I just read and read and read. And then I transferred to Oberlin. Uh, there was one professor in particular who was the chair of the Complet department. He was my first professor that brought like Lorca and Guillen and Alberti and all the poets of the generation of 27 into my life. We got to this poem called Beato Sion by Jorge Guillen. He decided to draw a parallel that still just like blows my mind. He took San Juan de la Cruz. He took uh, the poem Noche Oscura del Alma uh, the Dark Night of the Soul, and showed us step by step how this poem about a chair, Blessed Chair by Jorge Guillén, right? So he held up like Dark Night of the Soul next to Blessed Chair and showed us how they corresponded. And it was just like this light just came on in my head where it was just like this whole web of connections just presented themselves to me. It was this, it introduced me to the power that, or not the power, to the openness of poetry and to the inner interpenetrability of poetry and see how these motions of the soul, 
like regardless of their t like their external expression these motions of the soul can take any form and can have any subject I went to grad school at the University of Delaware and you know, I was 22, 23, and I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I loved Spanish. I knew that much, and I was missing speaking Spanish. I took a class on 20th century Spanish poetry with Dr. David Stixrud, who recently passed away. I took his seminar on 20th century Spanish poetry, and that was my uh, first real in-depth look at the poets of the generation of 27. I decided to tackle for my final paper uh, Lorca's work, um, Poeta in Nueva York. I immersed myself in that book so deeply. I read it from cover to cover multiple times until the patterns in it just stood out to me. It's like I was just watching it go from being sort of a two-dimensional canvas to being like this three-dimensional sphere of whirling images and connections. And I wrote this wacko paper about the loss of poetic meaning in Poet New York, which would actually go on to inform future studies. I moved out to California because there was nothing left for me in New Jersey, and it, it, felt, it felt like coming home. Soon after you moved out to California, you got accepted in the Ph.D. program at the University of California, Berkeley, and you got to concentrate on the generation of 27, right? Yes, that was my main focus, and my subspecialization was literary translation. We've talked a lot about how I see connections between things and how poetry tends to open up to me in unusual ways. And I started to perceive in the generation of 27 poetry that I was reading at the time with Professor Drew Doherty, I started to perceive overlap between the poetry that I was reading and physics, sort of oddly enough. What I was seeing in it was this overlap with the being and not being through quantum mechanics. You emerged with a PhD, but also a ton of experience teaching. I was so excited. I was so excited to be teaching poetry. I had like redesigned the, the whole course and like I walked into class that day and you know, all the students are sitting there looking sort of like glum because they know we're starting a new unit on poetry and nobody likes poetry. But while we were in that um, unit, every day I felt that way. Every day going in, it didn't matter whether I was teaching my specialty or not. I just have to, you know, let the students know, like, hey, just start with that, read it over and start with one word that sticks out like a sore thumb. Because that's, that's your hook. And uh, the, I think the thing, the big takeaway of all of this that I, I frequently, I frequently frame this 
in a jokey way. Um, I'm not going to do that this time. But um, if, if everybody has one skill that is truly theirs, like my skill is teaching poetry. That's my, it's sort of like my calling. I am so excited to be experimenting with this and I'm optimistic and I'm so overjoyed to have the chance to talk about poetry and hopefully like maybe do a little, little teaching, a little teaching on the side. Coming up, Anna and Katja have a meeting of the minds and the heart over the poetry of Lorca. That's next when we come back. So it was 2020, pandemic year, election year, and everything else that happened, uh, the year of sheltering in place. Sometime in the fall of 2020, I got a call from Katya, and she wanted to talk about poetry. Well, I was taking an international poetry class, and she said, if you ever want to know more about Lorca or just talk about Lorca, she said she would be just... Uh, dying to do that at any time and I said of course and it was quite exciting so before I even started the course we started talking about Lorca. It was incredible because she was so animated and in love with the poetry. I had not read Lorca before and so I was discovering his poetry as well as her enthusiasm and love and I mean she was it was just the perfect thing to be taught Lorca for the first time by her to you know not just it wasn't really being taught it was being fed Lorca I mean she was just it was just coming into my pores from her she was so excited about it so you came over to our place a couple of weeks ago and the three of us were sitting in the garden we were, and I, I had read you a piece that I was working on, and, and Anna started going into her kind of trance, talking to me about the meaning of what she saw and what I was writing about. Like, I remember her saying, oh, now I see how the pandemic is going to be written about. I mean, she, she goes very deeply when she, in, into a very deep place when she talks about poetry. Yeah, just during that conversation, I heard the two of you and the way that you were talking about uh, this work that you had read of yours. And I recalled that you had been doing these conversations with Anna about Lorca and about Spanish poetry. And it just came to me, we should have a podcast. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Let's put on a show. <laughs> Here's the thing. What was interesting for me is when she started talking about Lorca 
and we had those conversations, it started to bleed into my own writing um, almost immediately. So, I mean, it lodged something very deep and it uh, started making me less literal and feel more permission to jump, or I wouldn't call it jumping, but kind of swim around from image and s symbol, motif, color, and let it go in a much more unconscious place. And um, so that was very exciting to me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it coming into my own writing more as well as we talk about his work and I, as I hear her passion and, and her talk about what's possible in poetry because I'm not trained as a poet. I'm, I'm not a poet. And so it's just very interesting to get that information and that's why I was taking that poetry class in the first place is it's a different world and poets talk differently and they think about language differently and I'm apparently in a place where I want to hear that and kind of soak it up like a sponge and then let all the colors come out you know anyway <laughs> so yes I mean that's kind of why I got into it uh, on a on my personal level, obviously, besides just the joy of listening to Anna. <laughs> okay, so um, for this podcast, I am hoping that you and Anna will uh, be able to, again, speak in that deep and uh, inspiring way about Lorca and about the generation of 27 that uh, he was part of. And um, I'm hoping we can sort of uh, capture that passion on both of your parts. Well, be wonderful. Be fun for us, and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> and it was an equal joy talking to Katya. I mean, I hadn't had a chance to speak with someone who wasn't completely familiar with poetry in of the generation of 27 in years, not since I was teaching. So our conversations were really thrilling for me, too. And I'm hoping we can capture those in our podcast. So here we go. This is the initial episode of Generation of 27, a podcast about the group of poets, writers, and artists of Spain in the 1920s and 30s. Thanks to my mom, Joanne Owen, and Katya Noyes. We had help from Kyle Oliver, Gren Coffey, Paul Fromberg, and Bruce Rafnell. The music is by David Frias. We hope you'll be with us for our first full episode as Katya and I talk in depth about Lorca and his work, Romancero Gitano. Be with us then. I'm Mark Pritchard. And I'm Anna Hiller. Thanks for listening to Generation of 27. Hasta la próxima.